Day and Happy New Year, Windsor Community Church. This is Matt Brown, one of the pastors at Redemption Church, and I just want to take a minute to express our gratitude uh, to you guys just in, in the ways that you have loved and supported us over the last three and a half years of, of this church plant that we uh, journeyed out on here. Um, and I just wanted to specifically thank you guys for your financial support, but also your relational support. I have personally been so blessed by time with Dan Hardy and Chris Shewitt and Pat Brady, and, and just you guys have an incredible pastor team there at Windsor who just really loves and cares for you, but also uh, just loves Jesus and wants to see the gospel go forth and to continue to see lives transformed. And so, um, but also just want to give you a few highlights from this past year. We got into our new facility uh, downtown Loveland, and it has just been a huge blessing to finally have a place uh, that we can gather all throughout the week and a place to call home. And again, we wouldn't be here without uh, support from you guys, both uh, one-time significant support towards our building and then also monthly support towards our church plant. And so um, just really, really grateful for you guys. And wanted to give a couple other highlights. In addition to getting into the building this year, we've seen over 30 baptisms. So uh, we've got to celebrate baptisms often this past year, and we praise God for that. Uh, we also uh, got to add two pastors to our pastor team. That's been very significant for us as we sent out Matt Moorhead to a sister church in Wilmington, North Carolina. God has backfilled, and we've been able to add two more pastors to our team, which has been a huge blessing. So as we go into 2019 here, uh, a couple things that I would ask you guys to continue to pray for us. Um, one is that we would just continue to see people to come to Christ. Uh, that's why we exist as a church to to bring glory to the name of Jesus and to make him known throughout the earth and in the cities and neighborhoods in which we live. So would you pre please pray for us that we would continue to be salt and light and faithful to the gospel. Also pray that Jesus would remain our first love and uh, so many things vying for our time and our energy. We just want our church to be one that passionately loves Jesus first and foremost. And lastly, we are really praying and trusting that God is going to allow us to become financially independent this year. And so we have some support dropping off from from uh, from different places, and uh, we are just really trusting the Lord that uh, by late spring, hopefully early summer, that we uh, are financially self-sustained. So thanks so much for just taking a minute and hearing these updates. Excited for the future, continuing to pray for you guys and future church planting here in northern Colorado, that we would together make much of the name of Jesus and continue to hold out the hope of the gospel. So God bless you guys, and hopefully we'll get to see you sometime in this new year. Some of you may know uh, Matt. Some of you may know Redemption Church in Loveland. Some of you may know Crossway Chapel. Um, we're part of a, uh, a greater network of churches called Crossway Chapel. Small network. We have 22, 23 churches around the world. Uh, five in northern Colorado. Uh, one in Loveland, two Fort Collins, one in Alt, and then uh, WCC, of course. And uh, Matt is the lead pastor at Redemption. Um, he has uh, been such a blessing, uh, as that entire church has been to, um, to this church. Um, he is a young man. I think Matt's 35, 36 years old. And him and the rest of the pastor team are the real thing. They love Jesus, and they are um, 
just giving it their all, uh, dependent upon God to just reach people in Loveland. So just, uh, just um, we're going to be doing this monthly, actually. Once a month, we're going to pray for uh, another church in the Crossway Chapel Network of Churches um, and missionaries that we support, whether it be in the Czech Republic, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, just to kind of keep it in front of you and just want to encourage you to, um, to pray for redemption as, as God brings them to mind. And then one other thing is... Um, Take a Sunday off from WCC and go visit one of our other churches, even if you don't live there, just to, just to get a greater sense of what God is doing through this network of churches. I think you'll be encouraged. And if you um, stay at one of those churches, we'll hunt you down. Um, <laughs> visit, praise God, and get back here. Let's pray. Father, we, um, are, just do want, we are grateful to be a part of um, for your blood-bought people here in at Windsor Community Church, part of this local expression of your greater church. God, we're grateful that we're um, part of your family, your forever family. And God, we're also grateful. I'm grateful, God, to be a part of this uh, small network of churches that are um, like-minded in um, standing in the gospel, preaching the gospel, and holding out the gospel. Um, That is the um, hope for the world. And um, God, I pray for redemption. As Matt asked, I pray, God, that, um, that more people, that you continue to draw more people to yourself in Loveland, Colorado. Um, I do pray, God, that they would stay dependent upon you, that they would not lose their first love. And God, even as we're going to talk about it here today, it is so easy um, as Christians who are known by the eternal God, who know the eternal God to be distracted uh, from our first love and to just kind of fall, fall into um, maintenance mode. And so, God, I do pray that, um, that the pastors there in that body would not lose um, their first love, that they would continue to follow after you um, with all their, and love you with all their heart, mind, strength, heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God, I also pray for their finances. God, I know that after three and a half years that they desire to um, be self-supporting, to have the body there um, support the needs of that church. And I just pray, God, that you would um, put yourself on display, that you'd bring yourself glory by providing those finances. God, in regards to us here this morning, um, God, I'm a beggar um, in need of your grace um, every day, uh, especially on Sunday mornings. And God, I pray that as we uh, launch into uh, this uh, beautiful chapter of John 17, that, um, that we would just be more in awe of who you are, um, who, who the God is of eternity past, and, um, and what you came to accomplish in the person of Jesus. And I do want to pray, God, also for those that are here this morning that don't know you. Um, God, I pray that... Um, for those that maybe have professed faith in Christ at one point, but have yet to be regenerated. I pray for those who um, already know they don't know you. God, I pray that, that you would um, soften their heart. I pray, God, that you would, um, by your grace, uh, save people uh, this morning and in 2019. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we pray all this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Happy New Year. Good to be with you. We are, uh, as Jake said, we're starting a, um, a three-week sermon series called Knowing, Growing, and Going Together. And um, we will be starting uh, a book on uh, January 27th. We'll be going, going through the book of Ecclesiastes together. 
And so if you are um, wondering what to study, what to read what, uh, through in your devotion time, maybe start uh, poking around in Ecclesiastes. I think you'll be encouraged. And uh, we're probably going to spend a long time in that book, actually. We haven't fully mapped it out, but we're, we're excited about it. The reason that we chose this, uh, this three-week sermon series called Knowing, Growing, and Going Together is that we, we talk about it every Sunday morning. Um, the MC comes up and says that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And our passion is that all people know Him. That, that the people that know Him would grow in their knowing and then we would go and tell others about Him. And we wanted to put some, some flesh on that. Um, and so we have, um, as we uh, talked about it as pastors, uh, we landed in John chapter 17. And so we'll do kind of a three week um, exposition of John 17. And, um, and we've, uh, we've looked for the principles of knowing God and growing in our relationship and going in this, um, in this beautiful uh, chapter, John 17. This chapter is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And what we see here is in the first five verses that Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, we see him pray for us um, his disciples, his followers, he prayed for the disciples um, at that time and that prayer, um, he is still praying that prayer for us today. And then in verses um, um, 20 through 26, he prays for those who have yet to come to know him. We're not going to follow this breakdown directly. For example, today I'm going to talk about knowing Jesus, but we're going to be focusing on the first 11 verses of uh, John chapter 17. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to point to three um, distinct yet connected themes. And we're going to ask um, different questions e- each week. The questions that we're going to ask today is, are this, two questions. What does it mean to know God? And how do you know if you know Him? What does it mean to know God? And how do you know if you know Him? Um, next Sunday, we're going to ask the questions, what does it mean to grow in your relationship with God? And how do you know if you're growing? Sounds like pretty simple questions, but I think they're profound, and I think they're good questions to ponder as we, as we launch into a new year and turn the page on an old year. The third Sunday will be, what does it mean to go and tell others? And how do you know if you're going? How do you know if you're going? There's three groups of people that... that um, that this morning, really like every Sunday morning, but this morning is specifically geared to, and I believe that with open hearts and open ears that God is going to speak to you. These three groups are, number one, if, um, are those that are here today who know Jesus Christ, who know Jesus as their Savior. And my prayer is for this first group is that you'd be filled with a fresh awe of the one who knows you. The one who knew you before you knew him. This is a group that I'm in. And I'm in it uh, for several reasons. One is is that by God's grace, um, he knew me and I now know him because by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also for me is because um, I need to be reminded, it's actually um, one of my goals this year, I'm a goal setter, I don't know if any of the rest of your goal setters, but I like to um, really beat myself up for goals I didn't do in 2018 and set fresh ones that I can't attain in 2019. 
Um, that's, not the, that's not the truth. I like setting goals. And, um, and one of my goals, one of my resolutions, if you will, it should be an everyday, every year resolution, is to experience the nearness and the intimacy of the Lord. That I know I'm in. I know I'm saved. I know that there's no condemnation for me. I know that, there's, uh, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that I'm called to um, be a vocational pastor in this season of life. I don't know how long that season will last. But with all of that said, I want to experience an intimacy with the living God. I want to know him in new and fresh ways, and, and I want to encounter him in the word. Not just read the word, not just preach the word, but I want to encounter the living God in the word. So this first group is for me. And if you're in that group, I believe there's something for you here today. The second group of people are those of you that might be here today who aren't sure if you know him or not. You're not sure. Maybe you're in the boat where at one point you prayed the prayer. Maybe you were even baptized as a kid and you, um, quote, ran away from the faith for a while. You don't know if you know him or not. And my prayer for you is that you would be stirred this morning to examine yourself and to see if you're in the faith. The third group. These are those of you that might be here that know that you don't know. You're not pretending, um, but you want to know him. And you know that you don't know him. And I'm going to actually give you the conclusions up front, what I'm, I'm hoping um, this, uh, these 11 verses will bring out. Here are the conclusions. That, that uh, to, to, be, to know Christ, to be saved by him, to have assurance of that knowing, uh, these four things need to exist. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus is God. Second is to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not enough, actually, um, to believe that Jesus is God. That does not save anyone. It says in James that even the demons believe. And they what? They shudder. Number three, and, and this is more on the assurance end, is that you would have a desire to glorify God, just like we sang in these last couple of songs. And then lastly, a desire to know the one who knows you in a more intimate way. And we're going to break this down a little bit today. And we're going to, we're going to focus on the first 11 verses and uh, probably borrow from some other parts of this. Um, I was going to read all of John 17, but I think because of time, we're just going to read the uh, first 11 verses. So turn with me to John 17. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And I have come to know in truth, excuse me, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not pray- I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep, it, keep them in your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I got this big rip down the middle of this passage that bugs me. Let's start in John 17, verses 1 through 2. And there's, there's three questions that I felt like we needed to deal with right up front from these first two passages, these first two verses. What is the hour that Jesus is talking about? How did the Father glorify the Son? And how did the Son glorify the Father? When Jesus had spoken these words, which words were those? That's chapter 13 through 16. It was Jesus' last words to the disciples. When Jesus had spoken these words in chapters 13 through 16, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. Question number one, what is, what is the, uh, the hour that has come? The hour that has come is the hour that all of humanity has waited for since the garden. The hour that would fulfill God's covenant promise to save his people, to save the believing remnant. The hour that made it possible for you and I to become friends with God, to be adopted into his family, to find ultimate peace and joy in him. You see, there would be no salvation if Jesus had not lived, died, and rose again. That's the hour. How did the Father glorify Jesus? We get a clue from verse 5. It says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, the, the eternal God, the, the eternal Son of God, never emptied himself of divine powers or attributes, but he emptied himself of divine glory and dignity. We talked about that when we talked through Philippians this past summer. That in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, that, that Paul says that, that Jesus um, emptied himself. It didn't mean that he didn't empty himself of the deity, he emptied himself of all the rights that he enjoyed of, of, the, of the Trinity. So in saying, glorify your son, in praying that, Jesus, who had laid aside his glory, is asking the Father to glorify him once again. And the Father did. Listen, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, again, not of his deity, but of his glory, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, glorified him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, gave him glory, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, glory in heaven and on earth and under the earth, glory, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus' claim here also, asking the Father to glorify him, is a claim of deity. And it's the question that every human being has to wrestle with. Is Jesus who he said he is? The famous words of C.S. Lewis, right? That, that Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's God. It's the question that every one of us at one point in our life need to wrestle with and need to answer. So by Jesus asking the Father to glorify him, it's a claim of deity. And since the Old Testament affirms that God will not give his glory to anybody else, Jesus is saying that he is God. This is also, and this is a hard passage, but it's also um, an, an assertion that we belonged to the Lord before conversion. Jesus says this. He says, um, since, since you have given him authority, let's see. Yeah, since, since, verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The Father gave those who were going to be saved to Jesus. This is an assertion that we belonged to the Lord before conversion. Jesus gave eternal life to all that the Father had given him. And then the, the next question is, how did the Son glorify the Father? Through the cross. To save those who the Father gave the promise of salvation. Simply stated, and this is harsh, but it's true, that if Jesus had not done what he did, that God would have been stripped of all glory. That God would have been a fraud. If, jo if Jesus had not ex um, executed Philippians 2, 6 through 11, he would be a promise, God would be a promise keeper. Rather than a good, loving, and sovereign promise keeper. You see, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. That if Jesus had not emptied himself, if he had not become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that God is a fraud and there's no salvation. That there's no glory for God. So Jesus says, Father, glorify yourself in me. And it says in verse 2 that, um, that the Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh. And what is this authority that the Father gave to Jesus? And the other question is, didn't Jesus always have that authority? Why did Jesus have to ask for it? Piper said this. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, always has been, always will be, God. He was with the Father in the creation of the universe. He did not become authoritative at his incarnation or his exaltation. But here's the distinction, Piper says. Before the incarnation, God the Son existed, but Jesus the God-man did not yet exist. Before the incarnation, God the Son existed with all authority, 
But it is precisely the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the crucified and risen Savior, triumphant over sin and Satan, that God exalted to the right hand of the Father and installed as Lord of the universe. So Piper goes on to say, so yes, the Son of God always had authority in heaven and on earth. But when he had done the great work of redemption once for all, God exalted him as the God-man, the Redeemer, the risen one to his right hand, and now as never before, put the rule of the universe and the mission of the church into the hands of a man, Jesus of Nazareth, the man God, the God man, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of God. You see, the risen reigning king of kings, the Lord of lords, reigns over this world with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside his sovereign will. If he meets with resistance, he either allows it for his purposes or he overcomes it with his purposes or for his purposes. His sovereign purposes will never and have never been thwarted. And another thing, reason this is important is that when we get to heaven, you know who's going to wipe every tear away? It's Jesus. It's God with flesh on. The eternal God. Let's look at verse 3. In verse 2, we saw that Jesus came to give eternal life to all that the Father had given him. Now we get a glimpse of what eternal life is. And Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Um, Emphasis on know you. To know God and Jesus is not just knowing about God. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's a faith and trust in Jesus, not a perfect trust. We all struggle at times with trusting him, but it's a faith and trust in Jesus, completed work for our salvation. To know Jesus is to be saved by Jesus now and forever from sin, from the guilt of sin, and from death. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me. But I want to emphasize something, that we put a lot of emphasis in the church, and rightly so, on Jesus' work for the forgiveness of our sins, to deal with the condemnation that we would have without our forgiveness, And the fact that he conquered Satan, defeated Satan, and conquered the power of death. That's the the gospel. And we will preach that until Jesus comes back. It It is the only message that ultimately matters to a lost and dying world. However, the beauty and the benefits of eternal life are greater than the freedom from sin, the guilt of sin, and death. Let me explain that. We've talked about this before. Faith and trust in Jesus' finished work not only provides a way of salvation from our enemies, sin and death and Satan, but it brings us into a relationship with the one who has known us from eternity past. Why is this important? It's because there's the, the, the church for years has encouraged people just to pray a prayer and go live a life that you want to live. You're in. Just go live a a miserable, joyless, peaceless, hopeless life. And one day you'll be with Jesus. But salvation is for today to enjoy him. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to um, glorify God in what? 
enjoy him forever. In our Bible studies, many of you are in Bible studies. Many of you, praise be to God, are in Bible studies. Many of you, praise be to God, spend daily time in God's word. And, um, and my prayer is that, that you continue to do that with great fervor and zeal in 2019. But, but in our Bible study, the end is not more knowledge of God. That's not the end. That's never the end. But here's the end, to know and to enjoy God. That's the end. Knowledge of God is a means to an end. Yes, he, God is the subject of our study, and he's the helper in our studies. But knowing him and relating with him and being with him must be the end of our study. And my prayer is, is that, that if there's just like, my prayer is that maybe there's some gentle um, conviction in your hearts at some level. There was some like massive conviction in my heart. Um, not condemnation, but this conviction that welled up in me, um, uh, just a desire to be with the one who knew me from eternity past, who sent his only begotten son, not just so I can be forgiven of sin and have the power of Satan um, out of my way and never have to worry about the power of death, but so that I can enjoy him now and enjoy him for all of eternity. Listen to this beautiful verse from Hosea chapter 2, 19 through 20. This is the prophet Hosea speaking on behalf of God to his people. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That's about intimacy. It's not just knowing about God. It's not just knowing about the gospel. But it's putting faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and enjoying the relationship with our Father forever. Some of you have heard of J.I. Packer. He wrote the classic book, Knowing God. Uh, it sold over a million copies. I watched a little video of this dear man the other day, and he's in his 90s, just still um, pursuing knowing his Savior. It spurred me on. 90s, and he's still, he isn't cruising. Um, he is enjoying the relationship with the Lord. But, but this guy that wrote this book on knowing God is kind of the, it's, it's kind of the, um, it's the go-to book for anybody that wants to know God. Um, it's about that thick. Um, yet he, this, this one paragraph I'm going to read to you is kind of the, the capstone of this book, and it really has very little to do with knowing God. Spoiler alert, it has to do with God knowing us. Listen. What matters supremely, Packer says, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there's no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention is distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when, he, when his care falters. Packer continues, this is a uh, momentous, this is momentous knowledge 
There's unspeakable comfort. The sort of comfort that energizes, be it said, not innervates. In knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst of me. So that no discovery now can delusion him about me in the way I am so often delusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. I don't know how that strikes you, but it blows me away. That the God of eternity past and eternity future, the God who knows me better than I know myself, the God that knows um, every um, um, evil um, and deceitful um, thought that I have, um, wants wants a relationship with me. That he will never leave me nor forsake me. It blows me away. It makes me want to just know him in more intimate ways. He goes on to say, Jesus, in the prayer, verse 4, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What Jesus is saying here is that, Father, I did everything you asked me to do. Um, I left, um, on, I left um, everything I enjoyed uh, in the Trinity in heaven. I didn't, didn't uh, set aside my deity, but I set aside my glory. And on earth for 33 years, I did everything you asked me to do. Um, I did not sin once. I went to the cross I was obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In verse 2, Jesus said, the hour has come that he might glorify the Father through the cross. Now here in verse 4, Jesus said he's already glorified the Father by doing all that he said. You see, there'd be no salvation. Even if Jesus went to the cross, there'd be no salvation if he had sinned once. That Jesus was the perfect lamb. And the only, um, the only propitiation, the only, um, uh, the only way atonement for our sins could be made is if a sinless human being could take yours and my place on the cross. That it would be a sinless sacrifice. So it's significant. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And sometimes people use that verse to say, hey, you know what? Um, Jesus didn't sin. You know, I mean, suck it up and stop sinning. Well, yes, we should be holy as he is holy. But the, the greater picture here is that he was sinless, knowing that we never could be sinless because we have a sin nature. In verse 6, he says, Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you've gave me, given me out of the world. How did Jesus make known or manifest the name of God? He put on flesh. He was God incarnate. Titus 2, 11 through 13 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation, Jesus, has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And as we look at the second half of verse 6 through verse 8, we see that 
Jesus once again acknowledges that all whom the Father already knew, Jesus saved. Those who were already saved by faith um, kept God's word. He says that they kept your word. And this doesn't mean that they were saved by keeping the word. We know that here. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to just tell you that, is that, that there's nothing you can do. Stop. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of money you can give. There's no amount of, of, of poor you can feed. There's no amount of uh, homeless that you can house. There's no amount of money that you can give to this church. There's, there's not unlimited times that you can serve in children's and nursery that will give you favor with God. We should do all of that, but as a response to our salvation, not as a condition to our salvation. What this means here in verses 6b through 8, it doesn't mean that we're saved by keeping God's word. However, it does mean that as a result of their faith and our faith, that they and us who have put our faith in Jesus desire to keep God's word or we des- and we desire to obey that all that he commanded. Those, those whom God has graciously saved will have a growing desire to obey his commands. I want to say that again. Uh, those whom God has graciously saved will have a growing desire to obey all that God commanded. Some of it's um, some of it's like this, but if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and there is um, there is um, no change or no desire to change, um, you need to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. And what I'm not saying here is that you got to be perfect. It's not about um, perfection; it's about direction. Let me say it in words that Jesus says. And I think it's necessary to stress this because um, anybody who says, um, I know him, but does not desire to do what he commands, it says in 1 John that he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So we go to verse 9 through 11. We see that Jesus is praying for all who are being saved. In this particular passage, the context is that he's praying for his disciples. He's getting ready to, to jet out to heaven. He's getting ready to leave them, so he's praying to the Father. But this prayer is the same prayer that he, would, he prays for us as we see it in different parts of Scripture. Jesus is praying for all who are being saved, those who belong to the Father and have been given to Jesus to be saved by faith. You know, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But his glory is shown on earth in and through his people. So he prays for his people. Um, He doesn't pray for the world. He prays that his people would glorify him. And how do you glorify God? You glorify God. Romans 12.1 tells us that. That he said, uh, Paul says in Romans 12.1 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him. And that comes on the heels of verses 1 through 11 in Romans where, um, where he tells us how we're saved. We're saved um, by grace through faith uh, in Christ alone. But on the other side of that, um, the response is that Jesus prays that we would glorify, glorify him. And that's living in obedience to his commandments. And then the last part of this verse that I want to cover is... Um, (laughs) 
He prayed that the Father would keep them. I don't know why I keep losing my place. Yeah. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world. Jesus praying to the Father, but they are in the world, disciples. And I'm coming to you, Father. So Holy Father, keep them in your name, those who you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I, and I think the next couple of weeks as we talk about um, growing in our knowing, we talk about um, going, we're going to talk more about unity, what it looks like, um, what this passage might be talking about. But Jesus is praying um, for all who are being saved. And, and I believe that, that keeping, uh, when he prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name, I believe he's talking about two different things, or two, two possibilities here. One is, is eternal security. Keep them in your name. That, that um, if, if they truly belong to you, Father, through faith in what I'm about to accomplish, um, keep them in the faith. And here, one of the doctrines that we stand on, because we see it all over God's word, is the doctrine of eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. I guess I think that's important probably for me to clarify this morning, actually, as some of the things I said. It's, it's not that we believe that you can lose your salvation. Um, actually, you'd be hard-pressed to find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, you, it's impossible to find it in Scripture um, when you take it into context. But the reality is, is that there are people who have made false professions that never were the Lord's. And we'll talk about that um, in just a minute. So he's talking about eternal security here. Um, listen to this, uh, Paul's words in Romans 8, 34 through 35. Who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God now, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Jesus said something very similar in John 10, verses 28 through 29. Jesus says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The second thing I think that Jesus is praying here, Holy Father, keep them in your name, is gladly identifying with the name of Jesus in his gospel. Because what Jesus knows, that as he um, jets up to heaven, he knows that, um, that there is um, hostile Jews and hostile Romans that want to snuff out Christianity. And we see it in the first several chapters of Acts. As soon as Jesus resurrects and ascends to the right hand of the Father, um, all hell breaks loose. Right? I mean, they come after the Christians. Stephen is killed. And the worst thing that can happen, what, what Jesus is praying for here, is that, that no matter what comes our way, that we would gladly and boldly identify with the name of Jesus Christ. And that has massive implications for us today in 2019 in January. Massive implications. Because um, if we were ever a Christian country, and I know that we are a country that is based on Christian values, so I'm not going to argue that. I think it's a, a futile argument. But what I do, at, least at one point we can all agree that it was easier to identify with Christ. Can we agree with that? At one point, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago. Today and in the future, it's going to be harder and harder to identify with Christ. And what I mean by that is that the culture is not going to tolerate it like they've tolerated it the last 250 years in America. 
And so know that Jesus is interceding, praying to the Father on um, your behalf, is that you continue to identify with who you profess faith in, no matter how high the heat gets turned up. We're probably not going to get killed for our faith in America. But there's a time coming where we're going to, you're going to lose your tax deduction for giving to the church. There's a time coming where you're going to be persecuted by standing on what God's word says is truth. There's a time coming when you're going to lose your job by identifying with Jesus Christ. There's a time coming when family and friends are going to ostracize you because you're identifying with Jesus. And that's been happening since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. The heat's getting turned up. It's starting to look a lot today like it did first century Palestine. And what should our response be? Our response shouldn't be um, boycotting X, Y, and Z, I don't think. I don't think it should be um, uh, bashing those who are bashing us. I think we should call sin, sin in every, at every level. And at the same time as we, as we engage with those who are sinning, that we, as we share the gospel with them, we let them know in a non-self-righteous way that, that, um, that you and me are the chief of sinners. That, that we are no better than the pagan culture that is surrounding us. Yet we call sin, sin. And we go to the pagan culture that is surrounding us and we build relationships with them. And we love them. And we actually don't judge them. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It actually says that. It says we don't judge those who are outside the church. And basically, well, how else would we expect them to live? Last thing that Jesus wants, last thing that I want, last thing that Paul wanted, I think the last thing that we should want as a church is a cleaned up moral culture that thinks they're good. And then when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, he said, depart from me, for I never knew you. So we don't want to give people false hope. And I have no idea if I'm on track. So the questions that I asked at the beginning are of supreme importance. What does it mean to know God? And how do you know if you know him? Join me. If you're in that first group, would you join me in 2019 in encountering the living God in his holy living and active word? and experiencing intimacy with a God who has known you from eternity past, who has sent his only begotten son to die for you so that you can not only be forgiven of your sins, but you can have a relationship with him. Would you join me? Would you pray with me for yourself? Pray for me if you want. I'd love that. That we would experience intimacy with the triune God in ways that we've never experienced it before. And I believe that, 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 that uh, the more that we experience the love of God and the intimacy of God, it's actually going to propel us to go 
and trying to share the love of Christ to others. If you're here today as one who isn't sure if you know him or not, I pray that you would be stirred to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I alluded to this passage a little bit earlier, Matthew chapter 7, 22 through 23. This is Jesus. And Jesus is saying this, talking about the day that he comes back to judge the living and the dead. He says, on that day, many will say to me. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? We did it all. And then Jesus says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's between all of us and the Lord. Don't let the enemy condemn you. You know if you know him. But if you're pretending in every level, stop pretending. And finally, if you're here today and know that you don't know Jesus, I pray that 2019 would be the, the, the year that you bend your knee. That you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can know the one who knew you from eternity past. So believe that Jesus is God. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. On this side of salvation, I pray that you have a growing desire to glorify him and a growing desire to know the one who knew you first. Let's pray. Father, grateful for... um, Grateful for new starts, grateful for new years, um, grateful for your patience, grateful for your enduring um, love for your people, grateful, God, that, um, that even though um, you know each of us best, you know things about us that, <laughs> that aren't pretty that even maybe our spouses and best friends and people that know us best don't know about. I don't know. But this side of the cross, this side of being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, um, you who know us best want a relationship with us and you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I just want to pray for the harvest. Pray for those that you've brought here today, God, that maybe um, they're wondering, they're asking, God, do I know you? Do you know me? Um, and for those that uh, know they don't know you, God, I pray that, um, that they would humble themselves before you and acknowledge their sin and that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins that they might know you now and forever. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.